The evening talk is on the everlasting opening. It becomes apparent to us as you and I proceed through life that there are countless ways in which we can interpret life and its realities to us. And we see with the extraordinary degree of diversity that our mind has that we, able to, that we are able to look at particular events and situations, categorize them, compartmentalize them, draw, conclu draw conclusions upon them, and those forms of conclusion have an influencing uh, impact on us to produce and embark upon new interests and new activities. So we see that as we proceed through our life, there's a, a continual expression of it which is accompanied by forms of action and these various forms of action we have certain views and draw conclusions upon. And we might say that there is a, among the many ways that we can um, interpret life and its actions, we might say that we, one of the ways that we do that is simply through drawing a particular judgment about who we are and, and what we do. And that to some degree or other, the kind of judgment that we draw is a, a significant determining factor about what we do. And sometimes when we look at the world, we make a very simple, almost a uh, black and white division within the world. The black division, of course, being there is evil in the world and the white being that there is good. And we can look both around us and, and sometimes at, our, at ourselves too and make that kind of division in the world with all the kind of conclusions which accompany it. Sometimes because of the, this particular concept of, of evil and how obviously strongly judgmental it, it can be, sometimes we so soften the word, we say the good and the bad. And then sometimes with ourselves, I think um, possibly and probably, we don't even use that form of language in our conceptual and emotional life, but rather we would say, there's a, this is good, this is not good. This is good, this is not so good. And we see, that, therefore, that in what we do and in our connect connections, we experience certain things, and from that, we draw certain conclusions. And this affects our whole relationship, of course, to ourselves and our relationship to life, how, in fact, we see life. In the religious life, using that in a very broad way, in the religious life too, there has been, and still is, by necessity of course, a genuine and real concern in life about what is good and what is not good, what is right and what is not right. And of course, the, an emphasis within that view of life, an important and obvious, obviously an important view of life, there is the 
emphasis within the religious life to emphasize that which is seen as good and to develop and cultivate that. And one might say that that is a, a common characteristic of religions past and present. And to some degree or other, it also, of course, equally applies to us. Whether we have a strong religious influ underlying influence in our life or not, we still, as human beings, tend to interpret many things good and not good. And sometimes, of course, as we are very much aware, there are many grey areas where it's perhaps hard to state clearly which falls into which category. And so sometimes we experience in our own life some doubt about our actions, about what we do, because it's not inwardly clearly defined for us. In this coming to an awareness of our, of our activities and the way that we defi define our activities, <coughs> there is also within, so to say, within that, that the very concepts of good and not good can in themselves gain a considerable degree of charge in which we invest in what we accord to be good and we undermine or put ourselves down in what we feel to be not good. And not only do, that, do we do that with ourselves, of course, but many things we see in our world. And so, so sometimes the very strength of the concept, the strength of the image and the emotion which accompanies it, we just draw the conclusion as it were, a blanket statement about something. And that blanket statement about something can easily inhibit action. Inhibit the flow, the flow on of an awareness which makes the change. A very, let me take, let me take a very a simple and a, a one which is almost like an epidemic in our society. It's through our sense doors being hassled in, with information day in, day out about all that is wrong with the world. The endless degree and accounts of suffering which is, we are exposed to in real life and through the media. And the mind comes up with the conclusion, with the world face as it is, there is nothing that I can do. And that has a paralyzing effect on one's own mind. And countless number of people say, what can you do? And the reinforcement of that statement inside of oneself becomes so established, even though the mind said, well, it's not good to think like that. It's not useful, it's not helpful, it's not constructive. But given the statement that our mind creates, given the acknowledgement that it's not good, nevertheless, the combination of the two prevent action. Uh, 
And unfortunately, given the world, given the extensive influence of the media, given the television here we have in the West, that the size of the problems dwarf the consciousness. Have the effect of feeling there's nothing I can do, even though I know it's not good. What I see or what, the way I see it. And it's not surprisingly with those kind of difficulties that we experience. When we see something as being good, good to do, useful, helpful, constructive, creative, when we wish to bring that into life in some way or other, still so often we lack the power to be able to do it. So we recognize something is good, good for others, good for life, good for ourselves, but so often there's the difficulty of making it happen. Spiritual practice or the religious life in this conventional relative world is one which seeks to overcome that which is not good through one's seeing, through one's intuition, through one's looking at, and to cultivate and develop the power of mind for that which is good. And one of the ways, and very obvious ways, meditatively speaking, that which is not good is those kind of mind states which we in some way or other see and recognize to be destructive, unhealthy, unwholesome, unhelpful for creativity. And that which we see to be creative and constructive and useful, we seek to cultivate, we call it, we call, we call it good good to do. And in the traditional forms of language that would be regarded or stated as being the overcoming of the unwholesome karma and the development of the wholesome karma. The development of that which is good and the reduction of that which is not good. And the, the application of, of that also means that something else begins to happen. And somehow or other, it brings it, in a way, to a more subtle kind of level. In which many of the things which you and I are involved in, I mean ordinary, everyday activities, and one would not necessarily put them into that kind of categorization there. You do a particular task, you can clean the floor, wash it up, do particular functions with regard to oneself and with regard to others. And one just does that and there's a certain mechanical response to it. But when we start to place our attention more fully into what we're doing, giving more wholehearted attention to that activity, providing its neither destructive nor exploitive, when we start to give our wholehearted attention to that, it feels to be good. It feels good inside to do that. And so some of those areas in life which are, don't apparently seem to be either one thing nor t'other, become, through 
mindfulness, through wholehearted attention, something which is good. And one has a, a feeling for that or a sense for that. And one might say, in that, something of conventional religious practices are being cultivated. And the mind becomes, in its mode of thinking, speaking, doing, and relating, it becomes more wholesome, more whole. Now within that process and within all the difficulties of that process of course there is always, as with anything in life there is the danger that we can start to make too hard and fast a division in which we're doing something which is good, useful, helpful, wholesome but we create, a, we create such a division in our mind that we identify with that and we begin to intolerate the forms of expression in our life which don't agree with what we wish to be. And so it's not at all unusual that one enters, and many people in spiritual practice, enter into confusing and difficult and dark periods because one wishes One's heart wish is to be one way and to develop a singular way of whole wholesomeness. But the reality is that there's still much else that's going on which contradicts all that one wishes to be. So there's the recognition inside of ourselves, very important here, the recognition inside of ourselves that there is a duality within the structure and framework of our own mind. Within the very way that our mind is set up and conditioned and the way we tend to interpret events in our life, we see this duality. We see that we say one thing, and we do another. We think one thing and we express something else. We find, our, we find ourselves not wanting to be to do this and we find ourselves doing it. We find ourselves saying never again and we do it again. So here we keep... It's good to know that you haven't all transcended all of this. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me feel more comfortable. <laughs> so we, we experience, this is what I'm calling the, the dualities in our mind, these basic kind of disparities in our, in our mind which seem to be within the same field of the mind in tension or in conflict with each other. And one of the things which occurs in developing the, whole, the wholesome as, a, as an approach to the relative reality of things, that in developing the wholesome inside of ourselves, because we have a sense and a feeling for that, 
such as the mindfulness and attentiveness here, correspondingly it makes us, and this is where it becomes difficult to deal with, it makes us even more sensitively and acutely aware of those things which we say, I don't like. Those things which are not good. Those things which i rather not see in myself. And so the actual commitment to one side of one's being, let's say, no, one side of one's mental life and the affirmation of, of that, sharing, giving, practicing, meditate, meditating, an ethical foundation for one's life, moral considerations, love, compassion, the, the application and the working to bring that through into one's life makes us more acutely aware of everything which is not that. And so sometimes, and this is where sometimes the difficult periods and the dark nights come in, we become so acutely aware of what's not that, that we can actually feel inside of ourselves that instead of getting better, we're actually getting worse. We can actually feel that in, that in coming into a, a situation like this, that w our mind is worse than it ever was. <laughs> and so it's like the light of one or the expression of one becomes, even though we don't like it, the revelation of the other. And that's where the difficulties in the balance and the equine of, uh, of the, the mind and heart come in and, and developing that equanimity towards both. And the kind of simple analogy which comes to me is that sometimes you come into these, uh, visit these, uh, the old churches where there's the, the light uh, above the altar and the light shines down through onto the altar like a, a beam of light a common feature in some of the uh, Gothic cathedrals of, of Europe. And when you stand and you see that, that pure light coming through um, from the uh, uh, ceiling through, through to the floor, not only do you see the light, but you see all the dust. <laughs> and the very beauty of one is the ongoing revelation of the other. And it's so it's very much it is with our mind and its movement and its expression and, and how we are as human beings. And there has been, because of this duality, only apparent, only a conventional uh, framework of reference, there has been within religious life a tendency, sometimes through repression, sometimes through denial, sometimes through ignoring, to try to maintain the appearance of one at the expense of the other, as though it doesn't exist. And so here a more expensive and and open approach to that is, is one of seeing what that means for us in our inner life and the way we look at the good and the not good and how that fluctuates inside of ourselves. And as I say, too much emphasis of the reinforcement of that duality, those two streams of karma to use the old language, the two streams of karma, is such that when we're looking at events and situations in life, 
what was good easily goes the other way around and becomes not good and vice versa. Like being in a relationship. <laughs> but it's all good. Then it's all not good. <laughs> and then it's not sure and etc, etc. And one of the, in those two poles of, it, of experience and all that is enmeshed in those poles, two, one of the things which it does for us, as I referred to the other evening, is it can create a kind of direction. The development of the wholesome can develop a kind of direction and that direction has no, no obvious end in sight. It's the the cultivation of a mind responding in a more full and caring way to the world that you and I live and participate in. And we would recognize, of course, that if the world was, had value for looking and cultivating of the good, love, warmth, affection, gratitude, compassion, and worked hard on all which was in conflict with that, what a transformed world that we would be living in. But within that activity, of course, and within the various practices and meditations which can cultivate oneself in, in that way, there is still within oneself the reinforcement of a duality. It keeps and maintains a certain separation in the world. And one of the reasons that it, it does that, that way of looking, and sometimes a fixed way of looking at the world and at ourselves, is that often the background to it isn't inquired into. And it's in the background too that the significance of what I'm calling in the talk everlasting opening takes on its own extraordinary import. One of the things in which our, in our experience of doing good, whether it's being m mindful meditator or d doing good in the world, and all, all the obvious value which applies to that, is that within that field of that activity, I, whoever I am, have a particular interest within it. I have an interest which is there for me. And sometimes, and often quite frequently, the specialized interest for me is the major determining factor about my action. And that also applies when we see something which is very sad and very painful in the world around, which we say is not good. You love somebody. You love them very dearly. And as is all too common in our Western society, a person becomes ill, ill early in life. That person perhaps get, gets suffering with cancer. And one doesn't, one's heart's wish is not to sit, is that person can live and experience the trees and the flowers and the sky and the earth and the friends. 
And yet there's a process which has got going, there's a, a snowballing process in which the, the physical life is, is gradually being withered away by, by the cancer. And everything in oneself says, one's heart, one's mind, one's intuition, that, that it's not good, it's sad and, it, and it's tragic. And one feels very closely for that person, for that situation and, and for the loved ones around. But two, within, within that, all that which we see is not good, which seems unfair and, and unjust in this uh, life that we lead. Also, sometimes the, fe the personal feeling within that and the association with that situation, through, sometimes through the accumulation of years, prevents our own mind from seeing it clearly. Not in which the feelings had been denied to us, but seeing it so, seeing it clearly enough that the pain and the grief and the sorrow which emerges out of that doesn't have a lingering on effect which becomes destructive to our relationship to both ourselves and our life and life itself. And sometimes, in that interpretation of not good, there can be a tremendous and very human and understandable resistance in ourself to a course of events which is taking place before our eyes. And everything inside of ourselves is, is trying to hold up something, as if we could, because of the way we see it. And when the inevitable, inevitable happens, it's a devastating blow, emotionally. And the outcome of that has, its, has understandably a flow on, in which we look at life through the eyes of sadness. So in our giving our relation, our full care and our relation, relationship to life and being aware of the resistances, of the kind of judgments and conclusions and divisions that we make and beginning to see that in a more balanced way so that perhaps there can be an order of seeing which is not that way at all. Which cannot be drawn into the field of the good and the not good. In the direction, and I don't wish to understand uh, in any way here, please, obviously, undermine the beauty and the significance of cultivating the wholesome and the valuable in life. Within the field of that kind of action, there is a certain interest for oneself. And that interest is such that in doing good, in the everyday terms that you and I speak about, in the doing of good, we see that the doing of good will make a difference. It will make a difference to somebody else's life. It will make a difference to one's own life. And one applies oneself to that because it makes a difference to the world 
a difference to life, to existence. And we see that each drop, each contribution that we make, makes that difference. That difference which we are speaking about is as a result of what one does. But spirituality transcends that. It goes beyond that. When we speak of the transcendence of that and the going the going beyond that, we see too that possibly it's somehow to discover, to see what the truth is, what the primary truth is. And rather unfortunately and understandably, the very concept of truth presents a whole range of difficulties. Whose truth? Your truth? His truth, her truth, their truth. What does the word mean? It's been asked and asked and asked again. But from a, a Dharma standpoint, a standpoint of a teaching about the message of life or the reality or the truth of life, seeing the truth or finding the truth must come via truth. must somehow, to some degree, the, the, the exploration into truth, into its fullness, must come through seeing and recognizing intuitively the truth as one proceeds. Understand? You know, if you wish to find the truth, you must stay with the truth of your experience as it is right now. One must live with the truth of what one is actually experiencing. What you are experiencing in life, that is the step to truth. It's being with truth and staying with the truth of what's happening. In the staying with that truth of what's happening, less and worse words and concepts. One doesn't need them. So there's less speculation, less interpretation. There's just staying with the truth of what's being presented. When one is, is again from a dharma, a spiritual standpoint, when one is seeing the truth, you know, sometimes you and I say, you know what's going on in El Salvador, you know what's going on in Lebanon, you know what's going, going on in East Europe or whatever. Uh, one's got what's going on in this situation and in that situation. And we say, oh, I know the truth. I see the truth of what's going on. But actually, we aren't. All that we're doing is allowing some information to filter through into our head, regurgitated as knowledge, and we call this seeing the truth. But if one sees the truth of things, Your whole being must be affected by it. There's a response which comes out of oneself because one does see the truth. 
And so it's not just being touched at a, a psychological or a cerebral level, but the seeing of something touches one's head, it touches one's heart, it touches one's being, it touches one's spiritual life. And then we speak in this tradition, then we speak of seeing the truth because it brings a response. So there's the seeing of the truth, there's the bringing of the response. The bringing of the response brings out of oneself something which we say is good. Because it's touched a place. But in that bringing out of ourself that which is good and the cultivation and the practice of that, as I mentioned, that is in order to bring change understandably, it's in order also that it's in some way sense to be of benefit for oneself. It feels good to do, it feels important to do, I feel I must do this. And you and I in our various lives have had that kind of impact on our life where we've had no choice, we've had to do something and we know it's good to do, it's important to do. The overcoming of the not good, the unwholesome, the evil, the violence, or whatever it might be, the cultivation of the good and the good finding its expression in the world in order that you and I can be an instrument of change in the world, of useful, meaning, loving change in the world. Looking at that both out of ourselves, looking at that from our own life, and that duality inside of ourselves. But it's not enough. It's not fulfillment. It's not the revelation of an everlasting opening. And in that world, and the world which you and I know and are familiar with, the world of action and movement and, and expression. It's, it's the world which, who we are and what we do, it's a world which, in that world, we make a difference to it. But the spiritual life, dealing with truth, the immediacy of truth, the conventional truth, and finding its fulfillment in a transcendent understanding is a seeing in life or an everlasting opening in life in which truly the nature of things is seen. And it's in seeing clearly and directly the nature of things in a, in a full way that the whole concept, an idea around not good and good have no real meaning. They are simply valuable and useful as they can be in our conventional world, simply agreements but which help us to engage in a course of action, karma, to help us to engage in a course of action to elicit change, both inside and outside. 
but at a very primary and fundamental level in life, and the truly fundamental or transcendent level, whatever events take place in the universe, inwardly or outwardly, it makes not a scrap of difference to the nature of things. And because it doesn't make a scrap of difference to the nature of things, no matter what you or I do in our life, or what we don't do in our life, isn't going to affect that nature of things, that transcendent reality. And this, in the talk this evening, is being this transcendent nature. A nature unaffected by events. It's being referred to as the everlasting opening. Upon which there can never be any kind of restriction. And so even out of that everlasting opening, it may be seen in the conventional world, as doing good, the performing of virtuous actions, of being a loving or compassionate person. Yet, though that may be the deep, from the, the transcendent understanding, the child of its, of its expression, still, in the clarity which can come, which comes, out of that seeing, one is not fooled about the nature of things. The deceit of the mind of importance and holding and identification with the wholesome fades out. There is just the nature of things and its expression. And the characteristic feature of one who sees truly sees is that conventionally we acknowledge and we recognize that out of that seeing emerges love, awareness, sensitivity. And it's not bounded in any way by the framework of reference which we use in the conventional world of doing good or being good or achieving good. Only an everlasting opening. No event makes a difference to that. May all beings see into the movements of mind. May all beings see into the truth of things.
may all beings abide with the everlasting.